everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. The product of your business is not what you sell. The product of your business is the story people tell about you after doing business with you. So the product of my business isn't the invitation. I mean, it is physically, you know, it's the invitation, but it's really the story people tell either to other people in forms of referrals or just to themselves. Welcome to Hustle and Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we are two sisters who have started multiple businesses together. And yes, it is as messy as you think, because we know that starting a business isn't easy. I mean, we've done it four times. And on this show, we talk about the ups and downs of the hustle and the reward at the end of the journey. And we love helping small businesses succeed, whether it's through our venue consulting, speaking, or team training, we love to motivate others to take that big leap. Or you could just use our misadventures to normalize the crazy that is being an entrepreneur because every entrepreneur makes mistakes, but we like to call those unsuccessful attempts around here. And we know it's just part of the process. And today we're learning from Lindsay Williams, a wedding stationer and educator based in Niagara Falls, New York. Through personality-packed content and out-of-this-world customer service, Lindsay has grown her wedding stationery company from $30,000 to $300,000 in yearly revenue in just five years. As host of the Build That Business podcast and creator of the Wedding Book Blueprint, she now shares tips, tricks, struggles, and triumphs from her experience building, growing, and scaling a successful wedding business. Her goal is to empower wedding professionals to use their own voice and story to create meaningful connections, to build the confidence they need to recognize the unique value they bring, and to then share it with their customers. Lindsay, welcome to Hustle & Gather. Hello, ladies. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so excited to be here and I'm grateful for the opportunity to come on. I'm a huge fan of you both and the show. So thank you. We're going to have so much fun today. Yes. Yeah, we're yes. excited to have we you. Are so stoked. And I love your energy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> Thank I need you. some like caffeine, that caffeine you have right now. <laughs> I stopped at Starbucks on the way um, from dropping off my son. So I'm powered up and ready to go. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yes. Well, we would love to hear just to start off um, a little bit about your background, kind of what was your previous life before you became an entrepreneur? Yeah. So we can totally dive in. So Mm -hmm. I am Lindsay, as you guys so nicely said in the introduction, I'm Lindsay. I'm a mom to our son, Jameson, wife to Ryan. We're here in Niagara Falls. So I'm also a wedding stationer and educator now for wedding pros in the industry. So basically how it all started, I'll rewind back to 2014. I was so incredibly unhappy in my corporate job. I was 24 and on my fourth corporate job, that's cringeworthy to say, but I just kept hopping from job to job. I was so unhappy. And then finally, it just hit me that I was not going to spend 40 hours of my week completely miserable. So I decided to take the leap and venture into entrepreneurship. 
And what I did was I spent about a year working behind the scenes, setting up my portfolio, my website, my pricing. I set up the foundation of my business while I was still at this nine to five. I would do this on nights and weekends. And then when I got to a place where I was ready to put everything I was working on out into the world, I signed up for my first bridal show. That was my first move into my new business. And I got 12 appointments at that first show. And then I quit my corporate job the next week. So that's kind of how I I took the leap and it paid off. We've since scaled our business from 30K that first year to 300K in year five. And now I teach other wedding pros to do the same. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That's a great success for a bridal show. We did not have that much yeah, success at our never first bridal had show. Success at a bridal show. <laughs> I think it's yeah. hard for service based and people, but that's awesome. That must have been some great branding and marketing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it actually it is. Bridal shows are hard. I, I am actually just launching a program called the Bridal Show Blueprint. Um, so mm-hmm. it's funny you say this, but I've seen a lot of wedding pros the same, same reaction. They struggle at bridal shows. And I think you're totally right. I think service space is a little bit different. And with you guys, a venue is different too, because Mm -hmm. you got to get them right in the beginning. Oh, you got to, you know, meet with people right in the beginning of planning. So there's a lot of things that go into it, but the main thing that I do before bridal shows is I spend time warming up the lead ahead of time so that by the time people pass my booth at a bridal show, they already know me, like me, trust me. And then they're ready to schedule an appointment. It kind of eliminates that first step of getting to know you. Hmm. That's a really interesting interesting concept. So what's, um, well, hold on. Let's, let's pause here for a second. Cause I want to get a little bit into, before we get into like what you're doing now and like the education side of things, I think this is a really valid question that a lot of people have, especially with corporate. We hear often over and over again with entrepreneurs, they were just so unhappy in their corporate job and it's just soul sucking. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I love Amen. what you said that you didn't want to spend 40 <laughs> hours miserable every week, but could you pinpoint what it was about corporate that made you realize that this job just wasn't for you? So that's an interesting question because I went from job to job to job, totally unhappy. Mm -hmm. And in each situation, I found myself with like a nightmare boss or, you know, piling on too much work for one person. And I, I kept like looking for new jobs and I kept quitting and I kept going to the next one, to the next one. And then I finally realized that job four, there was one common denominator here. And that was me. And (laughs) I think, I think I just, I think there's just different types of people out there. And for me, and I think for a lot of us listening to the podcast for you guys, I think Mm -hmm. some of us are just meant to be entrepreneurs. We're meant to Mm -hmm. carve our own future. We like the sense of having freedom to choose how we spend our time and what to do. I like the unlimited potential of, you know, you work hard and smart and you can create your own destiny. So I think it was more so me. And I realized that after job four, four, and that I was like, all right, maybe it's not the boss every time. Maybe I'm just meant to do something different. So that was kind of my turning point when I was like, all right, I'm done. I would cry in my car. I would cry in the shower. When I got home, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. yeah that's normally a good indicator. Yeah. The crying, yeah. In the <laughs> alone time. Yeah, crying in your car. I, know. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. Cause I, I mean, oftentimes like that entrepreneurship journey, it's not like you quit your 40 hour a week job to work, you know, 20 hours for yourself. You know, it takes a long time to get to that point. You're often quitting your 40 hour a week job to work 80 hours for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I, but I love that, um, 
put couching it in the terms of like the unlimited potential, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's always hope. You know what I mean? There's like always that hope that that next big client's going to land or that you're going to platform to that next level. And I think that that's really what drives entrepreneurs in general. And I think a common theme that we've seen on this is that's not really provided a lot of times in corporate America. Yeah. 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 Is, would you say that there are things, cause you know, you've talked about how you scaled your business. So obviously I'm assuming you employ some people. Is there something that you've learned from that corporate environment that you've brought into being a better employer yourself? So that's an interesting question. So I'm actually still a solopreneur. So I don't have okay. a team of employees, but I do have a lot. I outsource a lot of things. So I'm not okay. necessarily an employer in that traditional sense that I have a team, but I absolutely know when to outsource and to offload. So how, how I've got to that point is I, the the first three years of my business, I kind of spent figuring out what worked. So it was a lot, it was a hustle. It was chaotic, but I would figure out what worked. And then I would go all in on those things and all in on what worked, but it wasn't without growing pains. I would find myself very burnt out. And then I would kind of pause and reflect and figure out how I could simplify my business so I could then scale. So I would figure out what I could outsource, whether it be printing or some of my social media or what I could automate. So I don't necessarily have a team of people, but I have a team of outsourcers and I have a team of tools. So I have like my honey book and like it's so many tools to automate my business. So it interesting question, but I'm still a solopreneur to this day. Not that there's anything wrong with hiring a team. I totally advocate for that. But for me, I was able to outsource that. Yeah. But I think, I mean, in a way you did build a team because you built a team of support around you. And I think that that, you know, listening to you talk about just even how confining being in corporate America is like you were confined to this job and, you know, mentioning how you felt like you had control of your own future. Um, you know, again, mentioned unlimited potential that, creating that support system around you, realizing, Hey, this isn't the best use of my CEO time, right? It's, that's not best spent printing. It's not best spent on social media and hiring those, uh, kind of mini coworkers of sorts for you. Yes, absolutely. So obviously you talked about in, you know, corporate America, you would come home, cry in your car, cry in the shower. Mm-hmm. Like how has your mental health changed and how have you helped progress that mm-hmm. along the way? Oh, it's improved drastically, but I'm not going to say it's perfect all the time. I mean, I still have anxiety. You know, I, I take medicine for anxiety. There's no shame in that, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's progressed over time because I'm able to step back and know that I'm in control. I think mm-hmm. if I keep just reminding myself that I'm in control and listen to my body, I think that is super important. So it's not, I mean, I'm a hustler day in and day out. I will work nonstop, but I also listen to my body. And I realize that if I'm getting overwhelmed or if I'm feeling burnt out, or if I'm just exhausted and I can feel myself pushing instead of like getting into the flow, I'll go take a nap for 20 minutes. And sometimes that's <laughs> the most productive thing you can do than to keep pushing yourself. So I'll take a nap, I'll set my alarm and then I'll get back to work. And that 20 minutes that I didn't spend working and I spent actually resting and refueling allowed me to work so much more effective the rest of the afternoon. So I think it's just, (laughs) yes, yes. I think it's just learning these little things as you Mm -hmm. go, but absolutely. It's not perfect all the time. I think mental health is a huge 
topic and entrepreneurship. It's something like not to be ashamed of. It's something to constantly, you know, get help if you need it, but listen to your body. I cannot stress that enough. I can't. Sometimes the nap is the most productive thing you could do or take a walk or have a snack, have a drink. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just rest. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love, yeah. oh, I love that. Cause yeah. I, I think too, just like, you know, going through, you know, hard times, whether it's like when you're in your corporate job or even an entrepreneurship journey, there's going to be times where it's, you know, smooth sailing and times where it spills all uphill both ways. And I think kind of learning those cues that your body gives you when you're like, all right, you're overloaded, or you need to take a break, or you need to stop and pause, or this is limiting returns. If you keep moving in this way, I think is key to sustainability in your own business. Well, yeah. And I mean, and honestly, like listening to you tell your story, you are like the urban myth, right? Like you are the person that, that, that when you're, someone's talking to you, like, oh, I went to this bridal show and I booked all this business and I quit that my job the next myth. week. Right. <laughs> Cause that's not the truth for a lot of people. It takes, you know, for a lot of people, it takes a little bit more. I don't even think it's necessarily they need more business. Maybe they just need a little bit more assurances. They weren't, they're more risk adverse, right? So they weren't willing mm-hmm. to take that big leap. And so I think too, as an entrepreneur, when you experience success early on, right, as you did, like you put yourself out there and uh, you put a ton of work behind it. It took you a year to get to the point where you're like, okay, let me put this out, right? Mm-hmm. And and then maybe it doesn't go like six months later, that success has dwindled or you're not moving in that right trip that right trajectory that you thought you were going to be moving in. And you have to take a second. You have to pause. There is something very defeating about that almost like where you're like, okay, I I took three steps forward and I took two steps back. Like, how do I get back to where I was? So was there ever a point in your story where something like that happened? Like where you were on this great path and then like you hit this massive roadblock and had to like kind of backpedal. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think all of us have a few times in our entrepreneurial journey where that happens, but I think mine, or at least the, the big one that I can think of right now is most recently as I transition into this education, bit education venture, educating other wedding pros. So basically what happened is I was, I had set up all these systems and processes in place. I had automated everything. I was rocking and rolling. I scaled my business as a solopreneur and then 2020 hit. And I think every single one of us listening in the wedding industry or in the world can relate to this, but it was running like basically a well-oiled machine. And then 2020 hit and every single wedding was like a total mess, total (laughs) nightmare. It was like total, like screech on the brakes, a nightmare. So, and you know, we had to stop and adjust everything and change the date and the location and the guest list. It was a, you know, in the stationary world. And I can't imagine what it was like for you ladies in the, as a venue owner, it was probably just like times 10 on this. What happened was I had put, I, I, got everybody taken care of. And that took about six months to get all my Mm. couples taken care of. And I call it like sitting on ice. So they were just kind of, everything was taken care of. They were waiting to be able to plan again. During that time, I experienced a pause in my business that I never had before. It was Mm. like this weird pause. Everybody was taken care of and waiting. So I decided to jump headfirst in the education world because it was something that I was always interested in. It was always kind of a tug on my heart. And building a successful wedding business, you 
in teaching everything you knew, I thought I could just kind of jump into this next venture and be like, okay, I got this. I know how to build a business. I'm teaching people how to build a business. I should be able to do this, but it's a whole different world. A service-based versus an online business is totally different. So I'm experiencing that now, as far as like, it's almost like starting, it's not starting from zero again, because a lot of the foundation and things are, I've learned and picked up over the years, but it's definitely like a knock, a knock down or a knock back a little bit, trying to get this is up and running. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, you see things pivot and change like that, but I think my relationship with, and this is kind of going off on different little avenues. As I talk about this, my relationship with money has always been I'm just not like, I was the type of person that would like wait weeks to cash a check. Like it was sitting on the counter and my husband would be like, you got to cash this check from this couple. So I never really like did things for the money or worried about how much money we were bringing in. I always knew that we would be okay. So I think that's helped me get through this transition a little bit too. It's, it's not like hit the ground running as successful as the wedding stationary business was, but I do things for service. So yeah, it's kind of a long, long winded answer, but I'm experiencing that right now. (laughs) Yeah, I know that's, I mean, we similarly, like, so we going into the education realm of things and, and it's weird because the whole reason why we started this podcast and we started speaking and consulting is it was kind of similar or something kind of always tugged in our heart, but it is that thing where you, you do it, you don't look at it and it's hard. I don't look at it, the monetary of it. Like how much are we actually spending as we're doing this? Um, you know, because there is something, there is something inherently valuable about doing something that you love and that you're passionate about and that you have like energy and all that for, it's almost sometimes worth more than like what you're actually like the payout is going to be, but it is a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different. Oh yeah. I definitely yeah. feel on the daily, like we're out of our depth sometimes. Here. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And it was, I don't know if it was, if this was the same for you guys, but it was hard for me because with stationary, with invitations, or even, you know, with, with your venue, like you're selling a service. So like they need invitations. And of course, customer service is so Mm -hmm. much a part of it, but like, you know, they pay the $2,000 or whatever it is, and you sell them stationary, but with education, it's like, there's so much that we can just give, give, give and serve. And for me, Mm. I was having trouble. Like I just wanted to serve and help, but I was like, okay, wait a minute. I, I, I also have courses to sell and coaching calls, but like, it's harder because it's not really like a tangible thing you're selling. So it's so, at least for me, it's just like my natural reaction is just to be like, let's jump on a call and figure this out. And then I'm like, oh wait, I I should be charging for that. So I could grow this business. You know, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but oh, absolutely hundred <laughs> percent. Well, because I feel like our education kind of came, it was very organic. So it was really, it was like 2018. Like we were consistently being approached by like our friends in the industry. And we have a very friendly industry here. Um, there's definitely some healthy competition, but for the most part, like if a good planner friend of mine came up and said, Hey, like, how do you structure your collective? Like, I would just go like, this is how we do it. Mm-hmm. Like, and no question. I didn't even think about like that being like intellectual property or whatever. Right. And so yeah. that's just how we operated for so long. I and mean, it wasn't until 2018. We're like, Hey, like we're being approached a lot. And as much as I want to help everybody and every single person, like 
you know, that's, I'm also super busy. So there has to be some kind of value to it as well. And, and the question was, are people outside of our market requesting this information? Is this something that we can help empower other people, right. To be successful and to grow their teams and, you know, to take that, you know, very scary leap into it. And so then it kind of evolved from there, but it's hard to not just convert back to like, Oh, I'm just a good old pal. Like, let me just help you out. Like, yeah, cause you spend hours on these calls sure. talking to people through like whatever their problem is or situation, their businesses. And this is what I would do. And here's my connection and right. whatnot. and thought nothing of it. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I mean, and we still are like in the middle ground. They're still like super close friends. I'm like, absolutely. Just call me and let me talk. Let me help you solve this problem for you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to keep reminding myself that like money is just a, an exchange of value. And the more money that we have, or not necessarily money, but the more we can build our businesses, the more good we can do mm-hmm. in the industry too. So like, if I just give everything away for free and go broke and have to go get a another job, which I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go back to corporate, but then I can't serve. I can't spend this time serving. So I totally agree. Totally agree. hundred percent. It's so true. I love that. I love that added that visual of it because it's, it is so true. Like it, it's not. And I, and I think for me, I had to get over myself because I was like, I guess there's a touch of imposter syndrome in a way. Like, why is my like, why is this value? Why is this information valuable? Like, I'm just a normal person. I didn't even, I don't like have an MBA. I didn't go to business school. And I know we have a successful business, but like, why, why should I expect someone to pay me for my knowledge? Right. And it was really hard to get myself to the point to exactly where you are or like where that point is, is that if I continually spend my time over and over and over again, doing something for free, and I'm not building this business. I'm not growing. Um, I'm not investing in, you know, in myself in a financial way, then I'm not going to be around to give advice anymore. <laughs> like we're going to, yeah. you know, it's all going to go under. So I love that. Yeah, exactly. So just a like pitch time here, like what is the wedding booking blueprint? Exactly. Okay. So the wedding booking blueprint, that is my digital course. And what that is, is it basically is a sales and marketing roadmap for wedding professionals. So it walks you through exactly how I've been able to grow this business from 30 K to 300 K. The first module is all about creating connections. That's more about how you're communicating and your marketing strategy, creating connections with your couples, kind of warming up the lead. As I mentioned before, that's module one. And then it goes into generating leads. Then it goes into closing the sale and then delivering exceptional customer service. So that's what the wedding booking blueprints is all about. It's basically a sales and marketing roadmap for wedding pros and basically the exact blueprint of how I built my business. Hmm. I love that. And is that, so let's, let's like kind of go back when you were talking about this brattle show, like warming up the lead. Like, I love that. Cause I think it's really innovative. Is that something that you talk about in that wedding booking blueprint? Maybe not necessarily for a brattle show, but for leads coming in in general. Absolutely. So that is basically the cornerstone of how Mm -hmm. I've been able to grow the business. Because when you warm up the lead, the sale gets easier to close and quicker to close and your close rate gets higher. So basically I can't stress this enough. Creating connections is the single most powerful way to warm up the lead and basically book more weddings or more services, whatever you offer. And here's why, because people connect with people, they don't necessarily connect with products. So if Mm -hmm. people connect with you, if they 
they trust you and they like you, that lead is warm and easier to close. And there's mm-hmm. two kind of components of that. Creating connections is number one, and then communicating your value and how it solves their problem is number two. If they know you and they can see how valuable you are, then they use these two things to compare you to the competition or, you know, the alternative and not necessarily your pricing. So it eliminates, you know, ghosting. It makes the sale easier to close. So absolutely hundred percent. The wedding booking blueprint goes over all of this too, but just as a general gist, create connections, communicate your value, two main things that you should focus on. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Like it's, so we've been, um, we just hired uh, a couple planners for our uh, planning business. And prior to hiring them, me and Courtney took over the sales. Cause we're like, we're going to book out as much as we can. Um, so when they, we bring them on that, it's not just like starting from scratch, they have like weddings and we can actually justify their salary and all that stuff. And I'm in the middle of it. And it's like our intake form, it was just outdated is honestly what it was, but our intake form was like, what's your expectation for event management It had a price. And then, and then you replied and you got like an investment guy, which had a different price, which was more expensive. And then I had a phone call and I sent a proposal, which was a different price, which was more expensive. (laughs) And I was like, what are we doing? I was like, we have lost their trust in this process because I've told them one number and then a different number and then a different number. And so, and you know, we were still booking all right, but it was, I was like, this rate could be so much higher if we continue to not only communicate what we're worth, but also to build that trust that we're not just like taking them for a ride here. Like we're not giving, they're not, we're not selling falsely. Right. Cause that's what I felt like. I was like, it was slightly embarrassing too. So then a lot of these people would bring it up be like, Hey, like, why is this so different? And I'm like, Hey, let me throw this in for you because yeah. I, you're, you're absolutely right. It's not right. Yeah. It was 100%. definitely, it was definitely opening. I recommend anyone that's like outside of yes. their company, like maybe they're managing people who are doing what you do, you know? to get in there periodically and like do it and then find those holes. Like it was very eye-opening for us to be like, this is what we're putting out. This is what we're doing. (laughs) Well, and I I mean, to be fair, it was what we were putting out five years ago, four years ago. Well, times have changed. I mean, and, and I'm not saying that there are some processes that still work really well, but you, if you are not, and I, and I said this to our people, I was like, if we're not looking at this process every every quarter, every six months, every year, like you're not giving a quality service anymore because you're just kind of, you're almost resting on, I don't know, your reputation. Yeah. Which isn't, which we have a good one, which isn't bad, yeah. but it, I think it's what makes you stagnant and makes you not grow. And you yeah. eventually start losing those leads and start losing those clients because of it. If you're not consistently reinventing yourself, so to speak. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. So many good points, ladies. Absolutely. I try to do this. So I would like to do it more often, but I at least do it once a year. I go through and I make sure, cause you're right. Like things change the cost of things change, especially now the cost of it, paper and florals and food. I mean, everything's changing. So we have to adjust our prices accordingly. And it's so easy to to just let like a brochure you're sending slip through the cracks. I've done that before. I actually did that last week, actually, (laughs) but you know, you just forget to update things. And like you said, you have to constantly be just like evaluating and changing. So I think all of us can relate to that. Yeah. So I, I, what I love really just about you in general is just your confidence that you kind of exude here. Right. And, and I, and I really appreciate it. I am a planner at heart. I am, I love to just think through all the things and I, and I really feel like you 
showed that, like talking about how you spend a year behind the scenes, just kind of getting it in place, like getting all these ducks in a row. So you're ready to just jump on it, which I think is awesome and amazing. But there are a lot of people that are really nervous and they starting the business, not because they can't put forth a great product because they don't know how to sell it. Mm. So how did you go from, and maybe you could talk about what you did in corporate America, but how did you go from corporate America to selling yourself essentially and what you can do? And was there any kind of hard conversations you had to have with yourself about that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So in corporate America, I was a creative director. So no selling. It was all okay. creative graphic design, things like that. And the, the way I learned to sell was actually my mom. So my mom was in radio sales her whole life. So she would take us in the car in the eighties and the nineties and go like door to door. There wasn't like internet or anything. So we would literally be yeah. like, all right, kids, we're going in here and we're, you know, I'm going to buy you a stuffed animal. And I'm going to see if they want to advertise on the radio. And it was all about creating connections, a hundred percent about creating connections. We'd go in and my mom would spend a little bit at their store, whether it be like a stuffed animal, or sometimes she'd bring them cookies. I remember like stopping at the bakery, our local bakery, DeCamillo's and getting like a big thing of cookies and she'd like drop them off to her clients. So I watched her just create connections with people our whole lives. And then when I was transitioning into the bridal shows, she came with me to that first show. And I swear the reason I got 12 appointments was, I mean, we, we did the work to warm up the lead ahead of time, but really it was just my mom, like my mom, like <laughs> connected with people. She knew how to do it. She was like the, the total just pro at not even necessarily sales, but just connecting with people. There's a mm -hmm. funny story about like her time in radio. She had, so she, she was like the top seller, but she didn't sell like anyone else. It was like literally going to pick up cookies and dropping it off. And her boss wanted her to attend this like sales and marketing conference. This was like in the eighties and she would go away and attend this conference. And there was another boss. It was like the, the, the two big bosses. One of them wanted all the sales people to attend this conference. And the other one was like, you leave Linda alone. She's killing that. You let her do exactly what she's doing. So to be honest, it really wasn't, it was just watching my mom sell, mm -hmm. learning from her. And then the first few appointments I had, so those first 12 appointments at the show, I should preface this by they all like a lot of them did not close because I would mm -hmm. go on these appointments and I was like stuttering and sweating and scared. And I didn't know <laughs> how to sell. I was just like so nervous. And finally I, I was talking to my mom and I was like, you got to come with me on these appointments. Like I got to figure this out. I just quit my job. I need to make this happen. None of these are panning out. So my mom came with me the rest of the appointments and we kind of sold like a mother daughter team. And mm -hmm. I just sat back and I watched her like connect with people, listen to what they need. And she didn't know anything about wedding stationery. I mean, nothing, but she knew how to talk to people and connect mm -hmm. with people. So I, I would go, she would come with me to maybe like 10 appointments after that. And then I'd be like, okay, I can do this. And I slowly started doing it myself. So that's kind of a non-traditional way to learn sales. But so much of that too, I put in the wedding booking blueprint. I'm like, I learned this from my mom here. Mm -hmm. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's how I learned. To sell. 
That is so awesome. But I think it's so true. And I love that your driving kind of message is creating connections. Cause even like when we're talking to our, um, sales team, like that's the first thing you want to do. So these, like, especially for our planning clients, they filled out this very long questionnaire that I thought that's online. I'm like, I can't believe half these people fill this out, but it's really to get a, help us to get to know them a little better. Like what was your first date? Like, what are some of your stressors? And so they've literally told you how to sell to them, right? They have told you exactly what they want, what they value and what they're looking for. And it is your job to not to get on that call and to understand that person as clearly as they have given you the information. And so the first thing you do when you get on a phone call is you're going to mention how much you love that restaurant that they went their first date on. And you're going to, you know, like connect with them on some level, whether it's, you know, that's also your favorite restaurant, or you had a great first date there as well, or, or whatever the case may be, like make that connection. So they see you not as trying to push a product, but as trying to push a relationship because that's what you're buying. You know, you're not buying just, Oh, you're going to plan my wedding. Oh, you're going to get married at this venue. It's you're buying hospitality. You know, you're buying a relationship with somebody who's going to help make this day perfect. Right. And isn't that the truth for all sales, right? You're not pushing just a product, but you're pushing a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah especially when you're in that emotional space of like wedding planning, event planning, I feel like Mm -hmm. the relationship is key. People have to feel good about how, who they're doing business with. Well, yeah, but I mean, not even just in the, I mean, yes, we're talking about weddings, but But I think it's even heightened in weddings is what I'm saying. It is. But I think any person who makes their own money and has to spend a decent chunk of money on something, it's emotional because, you know, when I think about it, like when I think about, okay, I'm going to buy I don't know, like a new couch, right? Like I, I remember I like went back and forth about this couch. And when I think back on it, it was like $900, this couch. Right. And, but I remember all that, that money that I was using, it was my tip money that I had made that year. And so all I could think of is every single $150 that I'm putting towards this couch was like a really hard wedding, or it was a well earned or deserved. I'm like, Oh my God, like I got this couch. And every time I see that couch, I think of all those weddings that year that I busted my ass on and I worked really hard for, (laughs) therefore no one's allowed to eat on the couch. (laughs) The dogs aren't allowed on the couch. That is my, that is my special couch, (laughs) but it was emotional. It was emotional because it was my, it was money that I earned, you know, and I worked really hard for. And so I think that that when you, even to, now I joke like, oh, it was $900 and not a big deal or whatever. But I think any amount of money someone spends with you in your business, it is emotional because it is money that they earned, that they mm-hmm. brought in, you know? Yeah. yeah. I do think that. Yeah. I don't know. So I many think, good points. I love it. I, I tell Dana that all the time. I think you talk about like how much you mold over, like making this couch purchase and you know, shopping around, sitting on the couch, trying different couches, deciding on this couch or whatnot. And yet I just think it's odd or it just strikes me in general that like talking about Dana with this couch and you've tried these couches and you've shopped around and it's a big purchase that we, people inquire with us. We send them a little like PDF that's like, Hey, here's who we are. You should love us. And then we have this like 15 or 20 minute consult call with them. And then we're like, 
now spend $9,000 with us. Right. And I think about like yeah. all of the time and energy and investment I spend in just making maybe a couch purchase. And I don't know if they make $900 couches anymore, but maybe it's a $2,000 couch, <laughs> you know, I and, how, sale to yeah, and how much I like <laughs> agonize over that and think about it and make sure it's perfect. But yet we have this expectation mm -hmm. that we're going to meet with these people and they're going to talk to us for a few minutes and then they're going to give us all their money. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think when you, when you start thinking about it, like in those terms, you're like, this person could book me or they could book a whole or buy a whole living room set. Right. And that's what I'm asking them to do. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not creating that connection and you're not making those values for them and you're not making this path as to why it makes sense, mm -hmm. then it doesn't make sense. I agree. So many good points. And that's the exact reason why You'll need to warm up the lead, communicate your value ahead of time. You're so right. I think a lot of us, we go right in for, or I think a lot of us, before we learned how to do this, we would go right in for the sales or we would be disappointed in ourselves when we schedule these appointments and then none of us closed. I think we're forgetting about all that relationship building you need to do on the front end. And I love that you guys have that questionnaire because you're mm -hmm. so right. They're, they're showing you exactly how to sell to them and they're giving you talking points. Like if they say I'm up here in Buffalo, New York. So if they say they love the bills, then when I jump on a call, I could be like, how about the playoff game? You know, like these little things are like their dog's name. When you, when you email them, you could be like, hi, you know, John, Mary and Chewy, you know, you could like introduce <laughs> their dog. Like there's little things that you can do. And then it makes our job more enjoyable too, right? When you're working with couples who you have that relationship with, you feel like friends, it's just better all around. I can't, I can't agree it more. Yeah. And like, and even to me, it's one of those things and we kind of part of like our uh, company motto is it's, you're not faking the sale to where you can't commit to that level of involvement you know, throughout the entire process. Like, so for example, like I had a client that was a COVID client. So she was supposed to get married May of 2020 and her rescheduled a bunch of times. And the last reschedule that we had or second to last, I should say, um, they ended up getting pregnant because they, um, got married, you know, in the pandemic, just like a quick courthouse ceremony and made their big party later on, um, ended up getting pregnant and their due date was the same date as their new wedding date. So obviously we had oh, to reschedule geez. again. So, and, and I love this client. She was super sweet, super kind. She was easy, you know, like she just, she had appropriate expectations. So she was like a dream client, but we always connected. We talked whenever we went out, like we always had got a glass of wine and we chatted and we had a lot in common. Well, she had her, she had her baby and I was like, Hey, can I like bring you some dinners? Like, you know, just to, cause I know it's a lot, you know, I'm a mom. So I totally remember that phase is difficult, whatever. And I, I didn't think anything of it. Cause it's what I would have done for anyone that I cared about. Right. And I, she was just, it did not matter what happened at her wedding after that. It did not matter yeah. if anything <laughs> ever went wrong. It did not matter because she was just just that relationships just fixed anything, you know, and nothing did go wrong at her wedding. But I knew that if I had a lot less stress walking into it, cause I knew that no matter what she was going to trust me and she was going to value my opinion because we have this relationship now where she knows that I care about her. So she knows that whatever decision I make, it's, it's in her best interest. It's not what's in my best interest because I've shown that I can, this relationship that I have with her, you know? 
Yeah. <laughs> Spot on. I love that. I love that you have that relationship with her. You're so right. She knows that you have her back no matter mm-hmm. how the day went or even like beyond the day, right? Like I'm sure like if you ran into her at the grocery store, you'd give her a hug and yes. right. Like we form these meaningful connections long after the fact. And it's funny. My dad is actually a professor of hospitality and tourism at Niagara mm-hmm. university. I know you guys teach a little bit too, right? So yeah. you could probably relate to this, but he always said that the product of your business is not what you sell. The product of your business is the story people tell about you after Mm. doing business with you. So the product of my business isn't the invitation. I mean, it is physically, you know, it's the invitation, but it's really the story people tell either to other people and forms of referrals or just to themselves. Like the story mm-hmm. people tell about you in their head, like she's always going to remember that about you, Dana. So mm-hmm. I just, I love that. Yeah. That's a wonderful nugget. I it love that. Good. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I know. <laughs> My daddy, he always tells that story to everybody. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to write this down on a post-it note, put it on my computer. <laughs> it's so good. Well, I want to end with what do you think has been the biggest challenge you faced during your entrepreneurship journey and what's been the biggest blessing that you've had? Oh, I love this. I love this. Okay. So the biggest challenge, I think, I think it kind of comes hands in hand. I think the biggest challenge is that when things come up, you alone have to figure out how to solve them. But Mm -hmm. also when you make these triumphs in your business or the successes you have, they're almost sweeter because you built them. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of like a flip 22, right? When challenges come up, you're, you're on your own, especially as a solopreneur, like I got to figure out how to solve this, but when, you know, things go right, you can relish in the fact that, that you did that, you created that. Mm -hmm. And I think just like the freedom to, I think the biggest reward I've had growing my business is the freedom to choose. So the freedom to choose to take a nap, it, 20 minute nap in the middle of the day, if I have to, or, you know, the freedom to choose swim lessons on a Wednesday mm-hmm. afternoon or like the doctor's appointment. Like I don't have to ask anybody for permission. I think that's been the most rewarding thing. So, yeah. <laughs> everyone for gathering us today to talk about the hustle. For our episode with Lindsay, we are drinking a classic Cosmo. We hope we get the chance to make it this week and cheers to creating meaningful connections. To learn more and connect with Lindsay, you can find her on Instagram at Miss Lindsay J. Williams, and you can learn more about her business by visiting lindsayjwilliams.com. To learn more about our hustles, visit us on the gram at CD Events, at the Bradford NC, and at Hustle and Gather. If you're interested in learning more about our speaking, training, or venue consulting, head to our website at hustleandgather.com. Also, if you love us and you love this show, we would be more than honored if you left a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of EarFluence. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we'll talk with you next time on Hustle and Gather.